Hello, and welcome again to Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to Native American artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bears, people in our community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director at CANA, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Native American community from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Marty Tubles Jr. He earned his BFA from the Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and is currently a faculty member at the Oglala Lakota College in Kyle, South Dakota. A part of what makes Marty so interesting and worth listening to is that he's representative of many young and rising artists from Indian country. He comes from a family of artists. His father, Marty Tubles Sr., is an accomplished artist. His work has been exhibited nationally and internationally. So let's jump into this interview with Mr. Tubles Jr. Marty, I want to thank you for joining us with uh, Five Plain Questions. Um, it's, a, it's a podcast. Can, uh, first off, can you tell us uh, about your background and where you're from and, and introduce yourself, please? Sure. Uh, so yeah, like you said, I'm, I'm Marty Tubles Jr. I'm an Ogallala Lakota artist. Um, I currently live in Rapid City, South Dakota. Uh, my family is from Retro Table, um, kind of where I consider home. I've kind of grown up and lived a lot of different places, um, but Richard Table is always kind of home for me. Um, let's see. Uh, I uh, went to school at the Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, I received my BFA down there. Um, I studied printmaking and um, ceramics. Um, prior to that, I just you know grew up kind of always drawing and making art. My father, Marty Tubal Sr., is an artist. He was kind of my first, um, my first art teacher. And yeah, I've just kind of been making art now. And uh, can you talk about uh, who your your uh, your biggest influence? My biggest influences, I'd have to say, are my family first. Definitely my dad. Um, you know, I grew up in his studio, cleaning his brushes and. Kind of being an artist assistant early on, and um, yeah, I think he's probably had the biggest uh, influence on my on my uh, practice. Um, and from there, you know, I, my somebody who's always kind of looked uh, kind of far and wide. Um, I'd say after him, some of my biggest influences would be like uh, Robert Rauschenberg, um, Thornton Dial. Um, Frank Frazetta, um, uh, Jaime Hernandez, um, kind of all over the place with <laughs> kind of the artists that I kind of had influences on, on me. And uh, did your your dad's interactions with uh, with artists around the area um, were you able to uh, be around those conversations uh, growing up? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, well, uh, my dad um, is an artist, but my, my whole family, they're all artists. Um, you know, um, the Tubal's name is um, associated with a lot, of the, a lot of the arts in the region. Um, from my older, the o older generations above us, like my uncle, uh, Ed Tubal, who was an, an accomplished um, oil painter, um, you know, to uh, my uncle's, uh, Uncle Sam Tubal was a uh, accomplished painter and even to, with our generation my cousins a lot of my cousins can, can, can 
carry that on, um, you know, in different mediums and different ways. So can um, you uh, talk a little? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I just just realized I didn't really answer your question. Um, I yeah, I guess like with my dad, you know, growing up around native artists and you know being around those conversations, it just um, I don't know, just kind of part of life, I guess, you know, talking about art, thinking about art, talking about ways of making art, you know, a lot of, I think early on, the focus was around sales, you know, um, you know trying to get money coming in for the family and, um, you know, find avenues to, you know, sell artwork and, you know, support. support. So how have, uh, how have you developed your career? Um, did you, did you go to the college university um how, how how was that process for you early on um so I, I grew up making art and um i didn't really think i was going to go to art school i didn't think i was going to go to art school at all and it seemed kind of impractical um at like 18 year old me you know i was like what you know I was pretty good at felt like i was pretty good at you know make art making and you know didn't really couldn't really see how college would Help me like art art school. Um, so originally, I, I went to school um, for journalism. So studying journalism it seemed a little more like a practical path to take. Um, you know, I figured if I got that degree, you get a job. You know, in a newspaper newspaper or something. Um, but when I was in school, I um, I, I studied. I did that for about three years up in Spearfish, um, Black Hill State University. And, um, you know, I'm still always making art. So, you know, like I'd be going to class and, you know, doing my homework and stuff. And on my free time, I'd always still be making art. And at the time, I had cousins who were going to school in Santa Fe at the Institute of American Indian Art. And they, you know, I talked to them and they're telling me about the stuff they were doing. And, you know, they're, all of their education was focused in the arts. And that sounded like really, really fun. <laughs> You know, I was like, man, I wish I could be spending my book money on art supplies and just, you know, making art instead of, you know, all this kind of focus into you know, writing and um, journalism and stuff. So I switched majors. I went down there, um, I think like 2006. Um, and that was a really interesting step for me. I, I knew nothing about Santa Fe before I went down there. Um, I knew nothing of their art world and their um, art markets and all that, you know, totally foreign to me. Um, so, you know, going to the Institute of American Indian Arts, um, you know, I got kind of an education what like the native art scene was like down there, um, kind of who their major players were. Um, but also, you know, I picked up, um, I grew up doing a lot of painting and traditional sculpting. So like working in stone and wood um, so when I got to IA, I wanted to study um, processes that weren't um, there weren't processes that I had experience with. So I got into printmaking, and I got into ceramics, um, and those are still two mediums that I, I really, you know, heavily have my hands in um, right now. Um, and it was cool. You know, I had some good instructors there. I think the biggest thing for me was the uh, my peers, my peer group there, um, you know, it was really unique 
to be able to be in a place like that um, as an artist with other native artists from all over the country. I'd never really been in a situation like that before or since really, you know? Um, yeah. So, so that was really important. You know, a lot of the people that I met there are still you know, close friends that I, I have today. And, uh, you know, we definitely kind of you know, communicate and always kind of played off each other's ideas and you know, art concepts and things like that. But after IA, I um, kind of, uh, I started working in uh, galleries in Santa Fe, um, just contemporary art galleries, uh, not really a part of the native art scene there. Um, Santa Fe is one of the third largest art markets in the U.S. after New York and Los Angeles. Um, there's a lot of galleries there. There's a lot of money there. There's a lot of uh, money comes in from Texas. Um, and it's a diverse scene. You know, there's a lot of, everybody thinks of like Indian market in, in Santa Fe, but um, Santa Fe has a really rich kind of art history outside of um, a lot of the native arts. You know, um, a lot of artists from the West Coast, especially, um, kind of transplanted there at different points. Um, you know, artists, uh, you know, like um, Ken Price, um, Linda Benglis, um, uh, uh, Lee Mulliken, these kind of uh, contemporary uh, Western artists, um, you know, kind of lived and worked out there. And my time in the galleries was sort of a secondary education into a lot of ways, like um, like uh, kind of contemporary um, contemporary art, really. And uh, you know, I've worked in the galleries there for about ten years, and um, got to meet a lot of different kinds of artists from all over the world. Um, you know, put on hundreds of exhibitions with, you know people who you know had names like uh, like Thornton Dial somebody who you know showing work in major museums and art institutions all over the world and, and also you know people who weren't very established you know up and coming kind of, uh, contemporary uh, artists and uh, that was a really I think an important part of my kind of coming up was really seeing that greater world and outside of these focused marketplaces like um like uh indie market for example where sort of this kind of really small uh, community of, of artists and what was uh what was your transition back to the area like what, what um, initiated that if you don't mind me asking yeah um so a couple of things um probably one of the biggest are my daughters. I have two, two little girls. Um, you know, it was hard being away. It was a lot hard. It's always been hard being away from home. You know, um, I always miss my family. You know, when you live away um, from from your from your family, you miss a lot of things. You know, you miss birthdays, you miss the nieces and nephews growing up, you miss funerals. Uh, that was always really hard. Um, I'd always come back as much as I could when I lived away. But, you know, even Santa Fe, that's like a 12, 13-hour drive, you know. It was easy to come back regular, regularly. So when my kids were born, I didn't want them growing up uh, isolated. No one wanted them, to knew, wanted them to know their cousins and their culture. 
So, you know, when I, my first daughter was born, I started looking at opportunities to come back. And honestly, I didn't really ever think I'd be able to come back home um, anywhere in the region, even like in a place like Rapid City or um, something like that, you know. Um, there just wasn't, it didn't seem like there were opportunities for me in the area. Um, so I had this opportunity, um, uh, was offered a job with uh, Ogallala, the Ogallala Lakota College, um, to run their graphic arts program. Uh, that was back in 2017. So um, that opportunity came up, and uh, my wife, whose career has always sort of been in kind of the uh, social work field, she was offered a position here in Rapid City um, with uh, their CASA program here. And the stars kind of aligned and we just jumped on the opportunity and um, moved up here. And how long have you been back in the area now? Almost four years. It'll be four years in jail. So uh, the next question is about opportunities. Um, basically, it's, it's how do you seek opportunities? And, you know, it, you're, you're in a different place now than you were uh, when you left school. And so there's a difference in opportunities. Uh, can, can you talk a little bit about um, how you seek those opportunities to the changes over time? Sure. Um, you know, for me, like where I'm now, where I'm at now in my career and the experiences I've had and, you know, all of the things good and bad that have happened to me over the years since I kind of left home or finished high school or whatever, um, none of it I could have planned. Like, you know, I didn't, I, it was, you know, there was no, really no way I could have planned any of it. Um, a lot of it was just you know, seizing opportunities, looking for opportunities. Um, you know, I'm somebody, you know, I was raised with a real uh, strict work ethic. And I've had a job since I was 14 years old and I've always worked in some capacity, you know. Um, even through college, you know, I worked, worked through college, you know, I'm always working. And if it's not like a square job, like bagging groceries or something, then I'm making sculptures to sell or, you know, even, you know, when I was little, I used to bead to just to make, you know, a little, have money coming in. Um, and my thing with opportunity is like, if you never know where it's going to come from. And, you know, you always got to kind of be ready to, to seize it when it happens. Um, even this transition for me from the Southwest back home, you know, um, you know, that opportunity, I didn't really expect it, you know, um, I didn't have a lot of experience in, um, in education. I never planned on being a teacher, um, but I, you know, they needed somebody with my experience in the graphic arts. You know, a lot of my career, um, I worked as a graphic designer uh, just to kind of keep regular paychecks coming in during the, during the lean times. Um, and yeah, you know, I'm just always kind of looking for opportunities. Um, you know, for me these days, a lot of that is applying for things, you know, I'm always applying for grants and fellowships and, um, you know, those kind of, kind of reach those different kind of opportunities. I'm kind of fishing and, um, so with the opportunities, you know, I'm always looking for opportunities, um, you know, putting my name in the hat for different things, even trying out for things that I don't really feel like I have a very strong, you know, chance to get. Um, 
like maybe I'm not uh, far enough along in my career to apply for some of the um, fellowships and grant opportunities that I do, but still worth putting your name in. And the other side of that coin too is like learning to deal with rejection. You know, um, I get way more rejection letters than I do, um, you know, uh, those congratulation acceptance letters. And it's like that for most artists that I know, you know, they're, you, know, you might apply for 10 things one year and get one maybe or two, you know, um, you never really know what selection committees are looking for, or, um, you know, uh, judging, you know, people are doing judging for an art show or something and, you know, you can never really tell what they're, what they, what they want and you can't let it, you know, affect your practice. Like I really try to you know, keep those, you know, I'm always looking for opportunities and trying to to um, get those things. But if I fail, I, I try to keep that out of the studio. Um, so I'm not thinking about, you know, you know I, don't, I don't let it, try not to let it affect my practice. Well, it's also, a, it's an exercise of resiliency. Mm -hmm. you know, how, do you, how do you, how do you come across, you know, a, a hardship like that or a rejection like that, but still carry on and, you know, figuring out how to use it as fuel moving forward. Yep. Yeah. And as artists, you know, our egos are tied into our work. Like there's no way around that, you know? Oh, yeah. And when somebody says they don't like your art or if they indicate in a way that they don't like your art, it can, you know, have an effect on, have an effect on you. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I, I agree. I recently applied to um, an art expo in California and I knew I was punching way above my grade in this thing because it's for top illustrators in the country. Mm. Um, but I did it specifically for the rejection letter because I, I really wanted to have, um, I, I, wanted, I wanted to get through that, that I guess really the first one, you know, um, for something mm. like this. And, you know, I, I, so I applied and it happened. I got the rejection letter. And even though I knew it was coming, it was still, it still stung, you know. Um, but I knew that that was something that uh, I had to experience. And um, that was out of the way, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't think I'm going to fear it as much as I will um, later on, I, I imagine. So, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's um, the, the final question here uh, is is what would you want to say to your the 18 year old version of yourself? Um, what do I want to say? I don't have like, I'm not somebody, I don't have any regrets about my path or my career. Um, you know, I think I lucked out a lot of ways, kind of some of the opportunities that I've had. Um, so I would hate to say something that would like mess up that trajectory. <laughs> um, I guess my, I, I mean, the thing that I'm always thinking about is just like, you know, working, you know, is, is it worth it like working hard, you know? I think that's something I thought a lot about when I was younger. Um, I throw myself into projects into, um, you know, paintings or sculptures or whatever that kind of felt like you know, I didn't know if it was going to be worth, you know, all the energy and all the, all the time and the hard work, you know, if that would pay off or if people would like it or if people would connect with it, you know, and 
Um, I think if I was going to talk to myself as an 18 year old, I'd just try to be encouraging and you know say you know keep you know keep working, keep doing what you're doing. Like it's it'll pay off someday, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a uh, it's kind of a funny question because uh, you know it's yeah it's looking back. I mean we we where we're at because of what we've gone through. Um, uh, which is an obvious answer, but uh, in some cases we don't ever want to trade some of those things, whether they're good or bad, uh, because I think with time we get perspective. Um, yeah, it's def- always interesting. Oh, go ahead. Oh, so yeah, definitely. Like for me, you know, especially at that age, and now I, even like in my early twenties, through my twenties, like a lot of the work I like was making and still making is kind of just weird stuff, you know. Um, and especially when I was in high school, like I was not like I didn't I was not liked by the art teachers in the high school that I went to <laughs> you know I'd always argue with them and you know a lot of my standards of like you know my like I said like a lot of my heroes are kind of weird art art, art makers like Robert Rauschenberg for instance you know working with found objects and um you know making these kind of weird abstractions and you know these sometimes you know kind of non-objective type paintings or mixing mediums things like that um you know my art teachers were square midwest you know ladies who you know like duck duck paintings and and (laughs) the Sistine chapel that was kind of the extent of their art appreciation you know Mm -hmm. and i think i felt discouraged a lot of times i didn't you know it took me a long time to find a an audience or um a uh even just people who dug what I was doing, you know? And even now in a lot of ways, I still feel like I'm kind of searching for um, the right market or audience. Well, Marty, that's uh, that's it. Those are the, the five questions that we have. Um, thank you so much for your time and uh, you know having this conversation with us. Uh, where, where can uh, listeners find uh, your work and, and check you out? Uh, my website is martytubulsjr.com. Uh, my Instagram handle is at mtubulsjr. Um, you can go both places. Honestly, the Instagram probably is updated a lot more. <laughs> but, you know, I do have most of my current work on my website. So you can kind of go either of those two places. All right. Well, that's great. Hey, uh, thank you again um, so much for your, your time and, and this conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank Marty Tubles Jr. again for his time and sharing his story with us. More importantly, I want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. Please join us next week as we speak with another incredible person. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on Canna, that's C-A-N-A-A, Creativity Among Native American Artists, on our Facebook page or at the plainsart.org website. There, you can see our programming, past videos, and these podcasts. You can also find us on SoundCloud and iTunes and other podcast platforms. If you have a suggestion for someone to interview, please find us on Facebook and message me. Take care, and we'll see you next week.